Today is February 2nd, 2023. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago, Mekoche, Chesapum Aki, or Dekots Nagotime Siku. Hi, my name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I'm Ushi and her pronouns. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Great Bear Lake tribe in Treaty 11. My name is Dekots Nagotime Siku. My people wore rabbit skin, so it's been referred to as the land of the hair people. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Tincho Tine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning many big dog town, named after the Calgary Stampede. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot Mokinstis as Michelle Elliott, an English name that has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slady Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Nice Dene. Through my father, I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution, while having a Canadian Indian Act and Post status card, which is a colonial construct by Canadian policies meant to divide Indigenous peoples' inherent rights. Indigenous Two Spirit or the Indigenous 2S LGBTQ plus community and Indigenous women are at the bottom of the Canadian socioeconomic ladder because of colonial trauma, imposed poverty, racism, gendered violence, and land theft. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I share my journey as I walk down the right road. As a Dene woman who has attempted to run after joining harmful colonial parties, spent money to be at expensive conventions, left my home to travel to those conventions just to vote on incomplete policies to still allow ableism, incarceration, and denial of justice, and denial of health services, racism, colonial trauma and genocide of Indigenous and Black peoples, I have worked to continue reports to advocate for and attempt to work within these systems meant to harm me and my community. I think of all of this today, and I hope we honour the many Indigenous lives lost for the so-called country named Canada. I hope you see your role in the importance of stopping harm and as a citizen see your role as a treaty partner in so-called reconciliation. Pride Month should never be one month. It's important to understand the straight agenda and gendered violence was and is forced on this land by Christian outsiders. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous as well as honoring the host as a guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner. It's important land acknowledgements have meaning. I encourage all folks to introduce themselves with their acknowledgement of ancestors, story, stories of displacement and how you perceive your role as a treaty partner, a citizen of Canada a refugee or other land displacement so that we as Indigenous peoples know how safe you are to be around. If you won't pronounce your local Indigenous nation's name, won't say your pronouns, won't say your story of origin, won't acknowledge stolen lands, won't acknowledge imposed economic oppression or your role in reconciliation, I determine how safe you are to be around my community, my family and myself. Understanding land acknowledgements and their importance is Indigenous 101 because it immediately addresses colonialism, oppression dynamics, broken treaties and lies taught today in Canadian schools nationally and told on media nationally. That's why settlers and those who call themselves native Calgarians or whatever town you might be from, show me you have no Indigenous 101 understanding. Jesse Wente's book, Unreconciled, explains that perfectly as do many Indigenous authored books. Land Back is a movement that could save the planet from climate change created by colonialism and capitalism. That would be a part of the treaty partnership and part of meaningful reconciliation and honoring global initiatives like the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. 
I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been so kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Blackfoot, and Leonard Kenny taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Satu Dene. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot and Dene elders as, and language keepers as I learn proper pronunciation. I'm speaking to you on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot imposed uh, U.S. Canadian border, sorry, the, the Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S. Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Ganai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22nd, 1877. And that includes not just the Blackfoot Confederacy, but the Wesley Chinooki and Bears Paw Nations of Stoney, and the Dene from Sudina. I acknowledge all First Nations, Métis, Inuit, status, and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you, previous donors, for showing your support. Some of you may have been wondering about the fundraiser I did for my birthday, and because of your support, I was able to register for the um, upcoming convention. I may not be able to travel there, but at least I am registered. So thank you, folks. Um, if you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. Also, giving a review helps whatever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. You can go to nativecalgary.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. So I am really excited to have returning guest Shelly come back. And uh, the reason why it's so important that Shelly's coming back is that, uh, you know, we've been really discussing a lot about autism, about um, ADHD, resources, the lack of resources, mental health in general, and ableism. And Shelly, I'd love to have you uh, come in, introduce yourself and talk about some of the things that you wanted to really get down into right now. Hi, Michelle. Um, so my name's Shelly. I go by her, she, her pronouns. I am a settler on Mokinstis. Sorry if I mispronounced the, the dyslexia and autism. It's hard to pronounce things, but listening to Michelle, I, I think I get it. I am very close to Sutina uh, Nation on Mokinstis. I am 10th and 14th generation um, on my dad's side from both his side in, in Canada, less than my mom's. Um, but that means that they came from, they came to the States, but they didn't want to fight and become American, so they came up to Canada because they were loyal to Britain. Um, so my family has um, colonial ties and um, what's the word? Um, settler, they've been a lot. So I know that I cannot change what they did in the past, but I can help and learn and educate myself moving forward. Yes, love it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that introduction. Um, so Shelley, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about your history um, and why it is that you know about the topics that we're going to be discussing today? I am also an autistic individual. I was diagnosed at 37, despite the fact that I had two psych eds done in my lifetime, which is almost what diagnosed individuals with autism is psych eds. Um, I worked in the disability field since I was 19, so 1920, working, starting working in group homes and just worked all over the community. 
And also I have a sister who's intellectually delayed. Um, she is born in 87. So I think she's 35. She looks so young. I can't. She's your <laughs> baby she, sister. <laughs> yeah, she is my baby sister. I talk to her every day on FaceTime because she can't use the phone because of her hearing impairment. And so we talk on FaceTime every day and it's the same conversation, but it just it makes her so happy. It makes me happy just to see how she's doing. Um, because you can't, I can't see her every day, but I do see her once a month and we talk every day. Um, so I've been around people with high support needs since I was five. Um, I'm really conscious of language functional labels like severe or high support, or I, I would be like mild autistic. That, that doesn't, that is very ableist. So I use high support needs and low support needs because I can become having high support needs at any time. It's, um, I, I think some people still don't like the high support, low support needs, but it's better than using severe, medium, mild um, yeah. topics. Yeah. Um, I say spectrum a lot, uh, just yeah. because, you know, depending on how far you are or how, you know, and so I really appreciate your help on, on that. And uh, yeah. I have been trying to promote some work that you've been doing. Do you maybe want to share your website, your new website, so that people, uh, when they see it, they know that's you, one, and yeah. two, um, maybe they can learn proper terminology as well. Yes. Um, for my website, it's Shelly with an E-Y, um, A-U-T-I-E, A -U -T -I -E, writer dot org, which Audi means is autism, and it's just a shortened form of autism. Um, I've been promoting writing about the blogs are writing about myself um, and my experience, but I put out guides, um, especially through my newsletter that are exclusive to the newsletter about microaggressions, euphemisms, what not to say, and really why not to say it. Because if it's okay to say, oh, don't say this. Okay, I'll just use, since it's Black History Month, low hanging fruit. Well, low hanging fruit goes back to Jim Crow and lynching. So that's why we shouldn't use it. We could just say, instead of saying that, we could say, oh, it's an easy task. Because euphemisms are trying to um, just change something to make it less, um, make it like more palatable. But when you're using use of euphemisms for disabilities and indigenous, anti-indigenous and anti-racism stuff, it, we need to know the history of it. Mm. It's interesting you brought that up. Uh, I just seen in Harvard, their uh, female coach was actually getting in a lot of trouble for uh, using the terminology. There's too many chiefs and not enough Indians. And um, a lot of the, well, there was two Canadian Indigenous folks that were like, I'm done um, dealing with her racism. And because I think the average Canadian thinks that's a totally acceptable uh, phrase to use, they don't recognize their own racism. Um, low-hanging fruit that's a great example for me because I had used that terminology since meeting uh, one of my candidates he uses that a lot and uh, yeah. you know he does a lot of work in the human rights field and you know the, the power of that and how um, you know unknowingly using anti-black language so um, you know it's really important that we dissect a lot of that because um, you know let's have a powwow is perfectly acceptable in non-Indigenous circles, not recognizing how racist that is um, towards Indigenous, that anti-Indigenous 
uh, terminology. Um, I hear a lot of people use the word, you know, have your tribe. And it's like, mm, you mean that tribe you decimated so that you could steal this land so that you can have pop blocks or whatever it is that you think your tribe is? So, you know, that, uh, you know, it's really hurtful language that that is quite common. So I think it's really important. And, uh, you know, even for myself, I, I've been really trying to tackle the word crazy. Um, yeah. And I'm not going to lie to me, some of the things that are so normal, um, you know, like voting for conservatives that are, you know, hell bent against our democracy, you know, to me, that actually is insane. And I'm not saying that glibly anymore. I mean it, but I, I know it, it hurts folks who actually have disabilities. So um, yeah, I appreciate that. And I, I think when, when you say powwow, it's like people don't realize it's a, such a, takes so much time to plan and it's such a religious, they're not really like, what am I trying to say? It's such a thing for indigenous, it's very sacred. And you're, and people are using it and oh, let's get together for a five minute touch base. Like that makes, that is very insulting. Absolutely, especially the history of powwows and uh, what um, settlers did to Indigenous people. So I appreciate that. Um, I wanted to ask you, so, you know, one of the things that I know just inherently is that if you are a woman, you are absolutely discriminated against in the health sector. And of course, as Indigenous people, even more so. Um, so it's also Black History Month. And I think it's really important for us to uh, point out, like, I just did a TikTok, actually, and I um, talked about how the mainstream media is talking about the Pope's visit to Africa, and how they're talking about the, um, you know, anti-LGBTQ2 plus uh, sentiment that is all across Africa. And, you know, the UK and Canada are so guilty of doing this, where they both just magically forget that, you know, the UK has had an absolute hand in colonialism in you know, oppression, in economic oppression, in war, um, enforcing the Christian straight agenda. And magically, that that is all erased. So to me, yeah. there's a lot of anti-Black uh, commentary happening from our, you know, state-funded um, media representatives. And it ironically is Black History Month. So yeah. like, I, I really wanted to point that out to folks listening to the podcast, because um, when they don't give the background, they don't say, hey, as the UK or Commonwealth, we have, um, you know, been a part of colonialism that has led to anti-LGBTQ2 plus sentiment, you know, when they just forget that part, what they're doing is making it seem like, oh, those Africans, they're so conservative, they have you know, they're not progressive, we're going to have to go in there and save them from themselves, as if they weren't the ones who actually perpetrated the hate and the um, straight agenda to begin with. So I just wanted to throw that out there, because it is Black History Month, and we're talking about, um, you know, different levels of oppression, intersectionality, and, um, you know, the erasure of responsibility and accountability when it comes to why things are in the state that they're in. It. It's like, we can't, um, your last guest was amazing. Um, and he, I think he talked about that you can't erase, and I know this, you cannot separate ableism and racism. Yeah. And it's completely, because if you talk about the enslaved Africans in the States, they were told to be crazy because they didn't want to work and they wanted to run away. And that's still 
there's more to it than that but yeah. it's just it started back then and still now yeah like, saying that they were lazy well no they worked really 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 hard and they built so, the country for them and the other exactly. part that upsets me like I, I just had a conversation with a friend and, and they're dealing with a lot of intergenerational trauma and present day trauma so complex trauma and um, yeah. I love the way people try to erase the fact that it was literally colonialism that has created so much trauma and because of the lack of resources that are culturally uh, prevalent um, it's a continuation of trauma and then, yeah. you know, we gaslight ourselves because we were taught to hate ourselves thanks to the education system and the white supremacy. Um, so, you know, now we have to really like talk about, no, this isn't you in your head. This is yeah. literally the trauma you're trying to deal with. Um, I, I shared this really great article about how um, black men specifically when dealing with the police are not allowed to be afraid. They're not allowed to run and they have to remain calm and there there's no way they can win so they have to calmly die while being violently attacked by police and uh, same thing with indigenous in canada and and in the us you know and and so there's no winning so when we talk about mental health like there's no resources for us we are discriminated against in the health field and we are expected to fight our own uh, fight, flight, or freeze responses in order to deal with the state. It, it's it's so ridiculous that I don't even know how to yet encapsulate how ridiculous all of this is. So I just wanted to bring that up too, because when people, you know, think that they might be going crazy, they're gaslighting themselves, there's real reasons for this. Yeah. And the fact that Canada, the UK are so, what did we do? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm so blind to all of this. Like they are perpetuating yeah. ableism. And like even like what they did in Africaville in Nova Scotia, I don't know a lot about it, but I know that they resettled a thriving population in Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. um, only because my, my partner's from there. Um, but when I was, oh, I missed it. That's part of it, autism and memory. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, and I think that's important while you're on the show. So, you know, I, I don't want you to feel uh, distracted in any way. Um, but the other part is, is that it's okay to. Let's talk yeah. about COVID and, and the effects that COVID has, has had on our mental health and um, masking. Um, a good friend of ours, uh, you know, had, had got COVID like I did as well. I've gotten it twice. And they said that their experience, because they do have neurological um, barriers, that yeah. it was like a hard reset to their brain. And all of the masking and coping tools that they have learned over the course of their life were erased, like you would, you know, reboot a hard yeah. drive. Um, so I wanted your thoughts on, on that. Um, with masking, I have found the older I get, the, the less I can mask. I'm in what they call an artistic burnout right now. I'm hopefully coming out of it because sometimes it takes a few years, but I'm trying really, this time it's different because I know that I'm autistic. Um, masking, I was taught to mask. I was told I was taught to mask as a child. Like I was taught to hide the emotions, hide, um, not talk about it. Um, I'm learning emotions now as a 40 year old woman, the basic emotions, cause I don't know them. Cause it's called alexithymia. 
I don't understand emotions. And masking is was really hard at work. Um, is try not to be yourself, but like trying. But now I ha- I'm learning that I have to be myself or I get sick. Yeah. Because I can't pretend to be someone else. Yeah. And I did that a lot during the teenagers and twenties. Uh, like I had no idea how I wore jeans because I can't wear them now. <laughs> I don't even know the last time I wore a pair of jeans just because the sensory uh, sensoriness of it. It's just I don't like jeans. Mm. Um, so. <laughs> it's learning and knowing that, you know, it's okay. I don't have to eat those foods. Like you can put them in front of me and I will not eat them. And I, it's not that it's insulting to anybody. It's just, I can't make myself eat things that I will know that I'll gag on because of that's how bad my sensory stuff is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's just being honest with people saying I'm autistic and people will be like, really? It's just like, well, the, sometimes the, when I tell people I'm autistic, the um, reactions I get, I've gotten, I'm sorry, from a doctor. I'm like, I'm a 38-year-old woman asking, finding out that I'm autistic. I think it's because I wanted to, not because it just, because that's what they did. And like I, like I said, I had two tests that they missed. In 2016, I should have been diagnosed because it, with the IQ, there's a big gap. And this is where FSIQ, full-scale IQ, is wrong. Or not, it's not that it's wrong. It's very biased. It's for the white male child. And it needs to be, something needs, it needs to be updated because it's not where for cultural relevances. It's not, it's very biased. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that I'm missing stuff, but if, if you're interested, the FSIQ is, there is issues with it. Um, and I had a 46 point IQ gap and they just wrote off, they wrote off my sensory. I could have been diagnosed in 2016 instead of 2020. Right. So how did you go through the process? Cause like, here's the thing. If you experienced barriers as a white person, um, yeah. you've gone through testing. I haven't even dreamed of going through. How would I even start the process? Because if there's one thing I've learned from TikTok, it's that everyone needs testing. And why like self te- or self diagnosis is valid because there's such gatekeeping towards fi- um, medical testing in Canada and the states is so freaking expensive. If you have insurance, um, private insurance is the way to go because if it's public, you'll be waiting on a list for a long time unless you you're lucky and get into a publicly funded one. Um, okay, well let's stop there and let let's yeah. ask you about that. Because yeah. um, for most people, private insurance is not an option. So That's how, as a, as a public um, health, uh, how do we even start that process? Because when I go to my family doctor, um, yeah. and I, like, for example, with my Narcan um, prescription that I should have never had to ask them to write, um, yes. I had to ask them to write it so that the pharmacist would give it to me. They didn't write it. And I couldn't go through that pharmacist anymore shortly after that doctor left but I had to call like the um indigenous um services has like an Alberta branch so I had to call this like Alberta virtual branch in order to get the prescription I never should have had to ask for in order to get a pharmacist to you know acknowledge that they should be giving it to me 
Um, so that's how I've been accessing my Narcan, but that was already so many barriers and so much stress. And I was just talking about Narcan. I wasn't even talking about my own mental health. Yeah. I, I was in, I've been in the mental health um, field or field services since I was 19 on and off. So when I was in 2015, 16, they asked, they're like, they had some questions about my um, diagnosis and then they, um, they sent me for testing, but they even, they got it wrong. That's why I ended up paying for it through my own pocket, which is, which is ridiculous. I almost said the C word. <laughs> um, but I find that sometimes I've had people go through the 811 or, and go through mental health and they get tested back through there, mm-hmm. but it's a long wait list. Like even for children to get tested for autism is a year or two. Yeah. That's, and like, you know, but honestly, so like, what I just learned from you from this short conversation is that, you know, obviously if you go to your family doctor, there's a high chance of discrimination and not mm-hmm. getting that referral. And that 811 is probably the best option. And even if you get a, like a misdiagnosis, you go through the process and you get this misdiagnosis, then you still, it, as long as you pay, as long as you are a person who has privilege and you can go through private insurance, then only then you may get a diagnosis is that kind of what I just heard yeah it it, it's it's sad but yes that is the truth because to get I looked specifically for a psychologist who dealt with women Mm -hmm. not because the stereotypic autistic is a little boy little white boy who loves trains and cars so being a 37 year old woman i I was already told, I had a psychiatrist told me that I was on the cusp of Asperger's. Well, Asperger's wasn't used in 2016, it stopped in 2014, I believe, because of his ties with the Nazis. So yeah, it, it, it's, it's unfortunately, it's privilege and having, um, is having insurance yeah. or being able to pay for it. That's so, why self-diagnosis is, is valid. Well, so I wanted to point out most of my listeners are in either Alberta or Ontario. So I'd love to hear from folks from Ontario of what your experience of trying to get a proper diagnosis is. Uh, You know, here my guest hasn't gotten diagnosed until her late 30s, early 40s. I'm in my late 40s now, and I still have not gotten proper healthcare, um, mental healthcare. Um, And for folks in the States who are like, you know, thinking, because I see these Jimmy Kimmel type shows trying to pretend like, uh, or, or I'll point out uh, Michael Moore trying to point out Canada as being this wonderful place. But the truth is, is that uh, if you don't have private insurance, you are not getting proper health care. And uh, for folks who may not know, uh, if we get health care through Indigenous services, we are 100% discriminated against. Um, as the one pharmacist said, he would rather be um, not giving services to an Indigenous woman than to be audited. So but if that gives you any indication of why we have missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit through the health component alone, it's because we can't even get proper health care without facing discrimination. We can't get proper meds without facing that discrimination. 
And for someone like me who made him say those words out loud, I said, so just to be very clear, you would rather discriminate against an indigenous woman than to be audited. And he agreed, like those words were said in a sentence. And so, you know, how many, how many indigenous women have mental health issues that they are struggling through without proper help, you know, um, single moms, whatever, trying to help their kids who may have the same diagnosis, but weren't afforded that same privilege. You know, I, I'm so tired of people pretending like they don't have a role to play in all of this. You know, instead they vote for conservatives who are like, fuck the natives and the black people, we hate them, put them in jail. We're gonna get rid of them. And that's what they've done and as a consistent, let, let's vote in those conservatives. They know what to do. They're tough on crime as if the liberals haven't been. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, I think they really d misunderstand and don't understand defund the police. I like, cause I, we're in Alberta. So I say redistrib redistribute the funding is take the money. We don't need a tank in the middle of Calgary or Toronto and put it into the root causes. It's just like, we don't need militia style funding or army for cops. They have too much on their plate let's put it at the root cause so that we can actually have some changes. But I think what, when Jody Wilson Raybolt came in or came and talked, it's because they just want the four years. They just want to be reelected and they can't deal with systemic issues in four years. No, and they need to. I mean, um, I think the current sitting um, city Calgary council are human rights abusers for no other reason than they purposely allowed in residential school survivors to have amputations. They, they, they think that was somehow acceptable. Um, I blame the sitting current conservative government provincially for the same thing because they're supposed to be providing. I blame the very organization I'm a part of federally for the same thing because we can't claim we're trying to work on reconciliation while purposely putting Indigenous people on the streets, purposely not housing them, purposely denying them health care. Like, it, it's so incredible to me that anybody in this country is A-OK -okay with this current status quo. And ironically, because we've had a, you know, Muslim uh, mayor, and now we have a brown woman mayor, people think we're progressive. And I'm like, if progression is, you know, killing and continuing genocide on Indigenous people, I do not want your idea of progress. This is disgusting, like how people cannot see how incredibly conservative the very liberals they claim are, are in power causing the problems. Like they're killing us. They're killing us through policy. And, and I would say that indigenous who have disabilities are very much at risk. And I think the statistic of who has been hurt by the police is, I think it's like for the 56 or 60% or even higher have disabilities. Yeah, we just seen a video coming out of Vancouver of a 12 year old boy with autism who was indigenous and uh, them cuffing him and, you know, being completely surrounded and supported by white teachers. And, uh, you know, it, it's, this is the state, like, you know, I don't want to send my daughter to a school I know is going to mistreat her. I, I can't, I cannot do that anymore. So of course, that's why she wasn't in the one for uh, her junior high anymore. 
Um, I have nothing but good things to say about the high school she's in currently, but um, you know, it, it's so, as a parent trying to struggle with intergenerational trauma, complex trauma, um, you know, racism, even within your own family, and then trying to have your daughter thrive. And that's one kid. I would have had more kids had I didn't face the racism I did giving birth at the Peter Lockheed. You know, I, and I, I just, every system is set up against us. And ironically, I see myself as a person of privilege. Yeah. And I do, I see myself as a person of privilege because I do have privilege and I do have oppressions through the autism. As soon as I say I have a disability, people assume I'm dumb. I've been fighting that my whole life. Can you speak um, up, Shelly? Yeah. Oh, it's just like, and that's probably why I continued to do my master's is because A, I didn't want to change my, I didn't want to change the routine because I'm so routine focused and changing like leaving school was like a big thing for me and um because I've been called stupid my whole life and yeah. been and it or like my friends always tried to beat me because I was they thought I was a smart one but then I'd have teachers call me stupid because I don't process information the same way as other people do and if I'm a cis white female who got missed for so much what does somebody else who has less privilege than I do is missed like I had this, I had, the, you know, about my hand, I had something from birth. It wasn't found out until I was 38 and it caused a blood clot because it was an aneurysm. Like if that's not how, if I'm going through that, what is somebody else who is more marginalized? That's, that's why I fight yeah. because I use my privilege to fight because if this is my experience, what is somebody else's experience who has yeah. say intergenerational trauma? Mm -hmm. They're not going to get diagnosed with a dis learning disability if they're just like, oh, it's just trauma. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, what excites you, Shelly? What excites me is working together with the Reconciliation Action Group. I know I've missed the last two, but I, we went away for our anniversary. Um, but Congratulations. It's just working. <laughs> Thank you. It's been 16 years. And people are like, really? You have a 16-year relationship with having... Mark is just so laid back, that's why. <laughs> I'm a bit uptight. Um, but what excites me is just working and learning, like for the, um, your book club, the, the new book, Life in the City of the Dirty Water, is, is an amazing book, just like how, how clear he is. Like, and it's just learning because I know it's a privilege to learn about these things. So what excites me is learning more and being able to apply it to disability oh, in great. both both volunteer and when I when I'm working. Sure. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite comfort food and why? My favorite comfort food right now is yogurt and granola. Mmm. Right it's texture. Yeah, it's a specific granola, and it's it's got peanuts and dark chocolate, so it tastes like a Reese's. Oh, that sounds yeah. great. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Do you have an irrational pet peeve or phobia? My irrational pet peeve is when people say, you people. Ooh. It's like, I hate that. Even if like, they don't mean it meanly, they're like, oh, well, you people disabilities. It's just like, no. Yeah. You know, you can join us at any point, like yep. even temporarily. So language is my biggest. It's my, where I research the most. Yeah. And 
because I I've done a deep dive on a lot of language, especially not just disability, but others, because if, when you know better, you do better. I once heard uh, temporarily able-bodied. And I think that that is how we need to really address life until we accommodate everybody with a disability in some capacity, because we are only temporarily able-bodied. And I hope COVID had showed us that if nothing else. Uh, Do you have a phobia? A phobia. Probably, but I can't even think of one. Spiders. Yes, spiders. Spiders and snakes. Okay, perfect. Well, I really appreciate you entertaining me with uh, some questions that I'm going to start try to asking people about. But uh, uh, just to be consistent with some of my guests, you know, see see what it is that makes them take a little off the topic of uh, what we're discussing. And uh, do you have any lasting advice before um, we wrap up? Yes, if you want to get diagnosed with ADHD or autism, it can be, it may be able to be helpful in Canada because of the disability tax credit. And you can go back on your taxes, I think it's five years, they'll audit so you can get money back if you're working. So seeking out a diagnosis and paying for it may be advantageous to you. It may not be. I sought out the disability tax credit just in case I become sicker later to have in my life, but I found out that it was worth it. Um, But in the States, um, people in court, like there's still places that I've read that if you have a disability and you have kids, they can take your kids away. So it may not be advantageous to actually get a disability, um, get it late, like permanently labeled. Um, I'm not sure. I haven't, gone down that road in Canada but um, that's just my thoughts it might help you um, with the disability tax credit because then you also get that applied further to your uh, taxes well and just what you said brought up two things one Kent here used to go down to we call it crack mouths but that's a really bad term uh the McDonald's that's down on uh Stephen Avenue and and 7th And he would go and he would help people with, um, you know, forms and such talking about this. Because I honestly believe there should be like a regular check-in about all of the services for folks with disabilities. And I I just, I'll give a shout out to um, Action Hall Dignity, Dignity Action Hall. They're an organization that helps folks with uh, any type of uh, barriers that they're facing. But the other part is that um, because Kent was able to run, you know, maybe it's something you should consider because he used his platform in the best way I think he could possibly use it. And I can yeah. see you're doing the same. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, and then there was one other thing I was thinking of from what you said, but I can't, it, it escapes me. So I'm um, trying to write a book about language and disability and ableism. Sure. I'm not trying, I am. I'm yeah. just a little stuck, but I'm doing it. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah and, and we'll have to come back on here. And of course, while I'm sharing your your resources on social media uh, for yeah. a lot of folks who are only listening through podcast only, that's their only um, way of hitting us. Um, can you just say your website one more time for them? It's Shelly with an E-Y, so S-H-E-L-L-E-Y, Audi, A-U-T-I-E, writer.org. All right. 
Thank you. Thank you. And hopefully uh, folks can, can access some of that information there too, because I think it's important that we get proper diagnosis. Oh, I know what it was going to be. Um, one of the people that inspired me is uh, Velvet Martin. She lives in Edmonton. And uh, she created what was called Samantha's Law. And Samantha was her child that passed. And uh, it's cause, just because you brought up apprehension based off of uh, disability, it was actually just standard practice in Canada to apprehend any child with a disability and assume a state control. And the rationale was that that way the child would get the best services. But she found the opposite, that the child not only did not get the proper resources, but then also died as a result of not getting her mother's love. And um, so she created Samantha's Law so that the resources that are supposed to be available are given to parents first. And I know she wanted to do the work of doing that nationally, but um, you know, it's not fun and easy to be grieving your child and literally to have it be murdered by colonial state violence. So, you know, I just uh, wanna give a shout out to her and the work that she's trying to do and uh, encourage folks to understand the gravity of being able-bodied and an able, um, and, or a ableist society. And we don't even think of parents with disabilities, let alone the parents who may have a disability. <laughs> you know, uh, Canada has an ableist idea of where it's like, well, you're thriving, you're fine. And that's ableism. And if we just, like, I was talking with uh, the other, another podcast, like downtown, they have like some of the places that have three steps to get it. Well, how just to make like a ramp yeah. or get rid of those three steps? Yeah, it just would make the world accessible to everyone. Like curb cuts were for people with disabilities, but they make it, it helps people with buggies, moving elevators. Elevators were for people with disabilities, but it helps everybody who wants to go up to the eighth floor. I don't, not me. <laughs> Thank you. Or an escalator. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we uh, do you're, you're, our closing research? The quote, you're right. Temporarily abled, permanently disabled. Mm. Right? Yeah. And it disability intersects with everything. We're the largest minority group ever, mm. or marginalized group. And it's, and it's probably underreported because of the stigma and stereotypes and the gatekeeping of testing. Yep. Agreed. Well, I'm really grateful that you came on today and thank you so much. I hope that helps folks, even for myself. Like I, I feel like, okay, the, the barriers I'm facing right now are really real. And of course, that's why I probably haven't been diagnosed. So, um, you know, we'll go from there. But in the meantime, uh, thank you for bringing up the Reconciliation Action Group. Uh, I encourage my listeners, if you're in Ontario or, or in anywhere that you're listening from, if there's not a Reconciliation Committee in your vicinity, whether it's at work, whether it's at your volunteer work, your sports club, please make one. Please get moving on this. I know that there are Indigenous people in your life that would help you so that it can still be Indigenous-led. And uh, educate yourself so that we can start moving together as a society. Because ironically, if we were uh, good treaty partners to each other, then everybody would live equally. And uh, so that's my goal. And I know that's the goal of a lot of folks. Um, I'm really proud that this podcast has given solutions and included cultural safety training, cultural first aid, and all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous folks with disabilities, people of color, and 2SLGBTQ to speak. Thank you to authors Cheryl Ward, Alicia Branch, and, or sorry, Chelsea Branch and Alicia Fritkin for here to help.bc.ca, 
what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. Their work and those cultural action tools are available, so please support Indigenous work like this as part of your reconciliation work and settler understanding. I'm just lucky enough to highlight and repeat it here. Internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized folks experience by the structure of racism imposed on these lands. Donna Bevins has a great piece on what is internalized racism along with many others at racialequitytools.org. So I highly recommend it. Right now, there's so many resources from the Black community coming out. Um, it shouldn't, and people should pay them for these resources, but they're there. So, you know, there's no excuses anymore. Um, do's and don'ts for bystander interventions. A lot of times you'll see somebody being uh, mis mistreated, and there's some ideas here to help you through that. So if you go to American Friends Service Committee or AFSC.org, there are do's and don'ts by standard intervention ideas for you. Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and in public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. Calgary, holy, no more. Honor our words, honor the treaties, listen to the politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with gender equity plus, if they are cutting um, violence prevention programs and uh, Indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay-straight alliances, lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities. Know that your vote to, their to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. The recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform and violence prevention, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and Two-Spirit. Provincially, the uh, Kenny government created 113 pathways to justice, so all the blue voters should be holding their blue MLAs to account on it. Uh, follow the new Premier's Council on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls work. I haven't seen them do a damn thing. And opposite, I've seen them to do some really um, problematic things against our people, violent. Um, municipally, we have the White Goose Flying Report. <laughs> We're supposed to have a conversation this week about it, but that's been moved yet another month. Uh, denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational justice, health, uh, media institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from election platforms and politicians if they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism, they literally have zero business running, should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs. Uh, Google articles on how non-Indigenous Canadians can become allies, because they're out there. Stephanie Harp and I had an emergency podcast in the hopes that we could reach our allies to write and do more on the crisis we're facing. FYI, I didn't receive a damn word from any of them. So uh, yeah, our so-called allies, I don't know what you're doing, but I sure wish you'd uh, let us know, because we're not seeing you do any act <laughs> of the action part. Um, sign up at uh, aboriginalalert.ca. You can also get a Missing Children's Society of Canada app. Um, you can go and read, uh, demand an urgent action to protect the lives of Indigenous women, girls, two-spirit and gender diverse people experiencing homelessness at womenshomelessness.ca. But I don't hear anybody talking about that either or tagging me in it in any of the social media. Um, 
you know, this this government, uh, uh, every order has absolutely not responded to the drug uh, poisoning crisis that we're experiencing. So if you know someone that is using, please just don't use alone. If you are using alone, there's a national overdose response service. Uh, you can also call at 888-688-NORS for support. There's a Brave and Doors app. There's a zero transparency and accountability on that. Apparently there's a new app that um, is helpful for BC. So if you're in British Columbia, please look at these as options to deal with this crisis that we're dealing with that our local politicians and local voters are just, oh, I don't really know what we're talking about because they get the privilege to not care. Um, if you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about today, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 855-242-3310. It is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They also have a website, uh, hopeforwellness.ca, and a little text box there as well. If more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit, you can call 844-413-6649. It is available 24-7 as well. For non-Indigenous, you can always call a distress center line in your area because shocking the, the policies are designed for you to have services um here in uh, alberta there's a functioning 211 and that works in a lot of uh, provinces across the country but there's also 833-456-4566 and you can go to crisisservicecanada.ca uh 60 scoop indigenous society of alberta is ssisa.ca if you're looking for more of that um the following are two SLGBTQ crisis supports that are available in most places across Canada. Uh, you can go to lifevoice.ca and get tons of uh, different supports. The Trans Lifeline is 877-330-6366 and the Trevor Project's LGBTQ Youth Line, notice they don't have two, 1-866-844-7386. Uh, uh, just before I continue, I just wanted to throw out there that there's uh, been multi-protests and counter-protests to the drag community um, next weekend, the 11th and 12th. We have yet more happening. So um, I, I'm really disappointed to find out that um, one of the preachers is Métis. So I don't know if there's any Métis listening to this, but one of yours needs to be collected and his name is Derek and you need to collect him because he obviously is oblivious to the harm that the Christian um, church has done to our people and the other part is that you know if you're a Christian rather than trying to um, you know focus your energy in places that need to be indigenous led why don't you focus on your churches because there are a lot of calls to action not happening and now you're radicalizing indigenous people to hate their own people and hate themselves so um there's a lot of work to do and i'm going to say it again the straight agenda was imposed here through hate of christianity so please if you legitimately care about reconciliation why are you not doing more work in those fields anyway violence is my everyday reality every indigenous generation has faced it this is self-care how i take my power back and how I call out the racism I see in mainstream media every single day. That's why I started this podcast to speak without interruption, tone police, leadership shaming, gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinions, but sure want to tell us theirs, even though they know nothing about us. 
Um, I and many others share info on microaggressions, so it's unacceptable to say them anymore. Learn about being trauma-informed. I am very shocked at how many folks are still unaware that when you're dealing with intergenerational trauma and complex trauma, uh, how to navigate those waters, and we're still not there. So if you're not trauma-informed, you likely aren't in the right spaces to be talking to Indigenous people. Uh, folks like me are dealing with internalized racism, gatekeeping, um, so much racism. Folks that live off the status quo, folks who are in the trauma, people who are trying to do the work and deplete personal resources. Internal, external racism is an everyday reality for me, Indigenous people, folks with disabilities, uh, QT, BIPOC, and others. Masi Cho to my ancestors, to my granny, my mama, what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots, and stepping up and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. Mr. Fur, I'm a second generation Calgarian. Thank you to my husband Darcy, big Buffalo Rock man, um, for producing and editing the show. Top of being my husband, childhood friend, father of our child, and support down my red road or, the, uh, or my journey down the red road. He's witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, uh, Thunderpipe Necklace Woman, we are blessed to learn from you daily, and we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. My hope is that my family and my daughter will be proud in the future of us trying to discuss these present day issues. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can go pledge and support. Thank you to previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can put in your comments or your questions. You can also go to my YouTube channel to subscribe. Uh, NativeCalgary.com has the latest podcasts and all the pinned posts on social media. On uh, January 4th, I put out my birthday wish to go to Ottawa on May 4th, and I'm definitely not at my goal to be able to go, and certainly not bringing my family. So if you'd like to make a one-time donation to help me run, uh, please don't hesitate to do that too. And I want to end by giving side-eye to the Calgary Rabbits. You're lucky I'm not your dish. And my beautiful cousin once responded, or you'd be in my dish. So thanks folks for listening. I appreciate it. <laughs>